Hello and welcome to the Armenian News Network Rung Weekend Review. This show was recorded on February 20th, 2022. I'm Aspet Bedrosian and I'm here with Hovik Banucharyan, and here are the major topics we'll touch on today. Today is the 35th anniversary of the Gharapal movement. We'll talk a little bit about that and its significance to each of us and to our nation. Russia warns the EU and Armenia. And finally, Armenian-Azerbaijani negotiations continue, and we'll talk a little bit about those details. To talk about these issues, we have with us Dr. Anna Garabedian, who is the director of the Insight Analytical Center for Applied Policy and Research. She has a PhD in political sciences and is a lecturer at the Russian-Armenian University. Hello and welcome, Anna. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Anna. Thank you for invitation. So before we begin, we should note that today is the 35th anniversary of the Gharapah movement, which started the entire struggle for independence and self-determination of Artsakh. And finally, its secession from a crumbling Soviet Union, the same as Armenia, Azerbaijan, and all the other states. This anniversary is being celebrated in precarious circumstances, with Artsakh under siege, Armenia proper in some kind of a stupor or apathy, and an equally inactive diaspora. And I just wanted to ask you, Anna, and Hovig also, do you have any thoughts about this milestone that you would like to share? Okay, it's a really very important day in Armenian history, in history of Armenian people. But unfortunately, now we have situation that all the results of this movement and all the uh, struggle of more than 30 years is now under question. And now, again, is our, Azerbaijan is speaking about Artsakh as its part. And even the president of Azerbaijan asks international community not even to mention nagorno karabakh but to say that uh, Artsakh is a part of Azerbaijan. And uh, at the same time, we don't see any protests uh, from Armenian side, from the government of Armenia about this question. And uh, we see that uh, today, uh, the government of Armenia is not continuing the struggle of Armenian people for Artsakh and for independence of Artsakh and freedom of people of Artsakh. Yeah. Hovig, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm mostly sentimental in that the Artsakh movement, the Arabah movement, defined an entire generation. The earliest memories of my political activity that I remember is skipping school during those protests and attending this sea of people that protested for the unification of Arabah or Artsakh to Armenia. And it's a huge part of my identity as well as the identity of many uh, in my generation. And it is a big crisis, as uh, Anna mentioned, that this identity is being chiseled away by external forces without much resistance from the state of Armenia. Although I know that a lot of people in their heart are essentially sort of, you know, remember these days and sort of also remember the struggle and are true to the struggle. But there is some kind of a, you know, I guess this apathy needs to be shed away. And many people, I think, are in wait and see. But, you know, I, one thing that I really enjoyed seeing today was this performance by young kids in the Renaissance Square of Stepanakert. And, you know, it really sort of uh, re-energizes you because it's a, it's a moment of pride and seeing that despite all the suffering, despite all the hardship that they're going through, they are able to assert their independence and assert their identity. And I think that inspires many of us as well. 
I concur. Of course, I'm in the diaspora, and most of my adult life has been since the Garapa movement and the pride that we have felt knowing that Armenia is uh, becoming an independent country and asserting itself on the international scene. And of course, seeing in the last few years, a lot of that brought down, I won't say destroyed, because it takes a lot more than a couple of years to destroy Armenians in Armenia. But anyway, I won't go on. Thank you for your thoughts. Let's go on to our main topic. As we've discussed on this show in the past month, the EU approved an expanded two-year civilian monitoring mission to the borders of Armenia. An EU observer mission of 100 staff, only 50 of whom are actual observers, will be stationed along the Armenian borders with Azerbaijan, including those with Nakhichevan. Their headquarters will be in Yerek Natsor, which is in the Vyotsor province. So that is 50 people for 1,000 kilometers of border. The Armenian government was enthusiastic about this, and Foreign Minister Mirzoyan said that the mission will contribute to quote-unquote, peace and stability in the region. Meanwhile, Armenia has rejected a proposal from the CSTO to send a mission to Armenia, which reportedly also included an armed component. Now, Iran diplomatically signaled its dissatisfaction with the EU mission, saying that extra-regional players could destabilize the region. Russia, in its turn, was much more vehement, expressing displeasure and deploring the mission. But Armenia seems to have added gasoline to the fire and inflamed Russia, Iran, and Azerbaijan with statements that crossed all of their assertions. First, Armenia said that Iran is actually not opposed to the EU mission, something which the Iranians had to come out and deny. Then Pashinyan said that the EU monitors will not only monitor the borders with Azerbaijan, but also the Russian troops in Armenia and the peacekeepers in Artsakh. And he justified this by saying that Azerbaijan has been complaining to the West that Armenia and Russia are conspiring to attack it. This was refuted by the EU and also Russia, who said that Russia had never heard Azerbaijan express concern or fear of being attacked by Russia. Russia's State Duma speaker, Vyacheslav Volodin, also issued a stern warning to the EU and Armenia, saying that consequences of leaning towards the EU could lead to, quote-unquote, losing the country. So this is a high-level but also very complicated picture of an Armenian-Russian strategic alliance gone south. Essentially, Russia is warning Armenia that it could lose its statehood. Anna, can you explain why Russia has issued such a dire warning at this time? Uh, we see that Russia ha- is really warned about uh, the EU's mission in Armenia. EU establishing this time long time mission in Armenia, and of course, both in Moscow and also in Yerevan, everybody understands that this mission is more about the interests of EU in the region than about security of Armenia or or Armenian people, etc., because it's a part of geopolitical struggle of Russia at the West for the region. And uh, this mission gives you a chance to have their base in the region, yes, to be uh, presented, represented in the region for a long time. And, of course, uh, Moscow has some concerns connected with this. And also today, Maria Zakharova again spoke about this mission and said that Moscow doesn't like the idea and they understand that it's a part of struggle of the EU for the region and a part of struggle against Russia. 
And uh, we see that uh, the government of Armenia is playing this game, the game of trying to win uh, something in the, the context of the West and Russia. And that's why in Moscow they see that Armenian government is helping West in its geopolitical struggle with Russia. And that's why uh, now they are even choosing some inflammatory rhetoric, yes, or uh, rhetoric, uh, much more not diplomatic rhetoric uh, concerning this question. And they are even speaking about uh, the uh, risk of losing a state by Armenia, etc. Because this way they are trying to stop the process or to make the government of Armenia understand uh, which risks uh, they can uh, meet in this process. Anna, Armenia uh, has continued rejecting the alternative uh, CSTO mission. And, you know, in last week, Lavrov even said that the mission could be deployed within a day or two, but Armenia's government has expressed doubts about it. Uh, and also given various excuses why the CSTO is not desirable. For example, they said that the CSTO countries have not recognized Azerbaijan as an aggressor and do not recognize Armenia's borders. If they don't do that, then they would not be able to carry out the mission properly. So the Armenian leadership states that they feel betrayed by uh, Armenia's alliances, uh, official ones, uh, specifically bilaterally with Russia and through the CSTO. But on the flip side, Russia is also expressing feelings of betrayal by Armenia. Now, you talked about this, and I think, uh, you know, you talked about why Russia may feel maybe expressing the position that it is. But is there really an Armenian benefit to the Armenian state from a EU mission versus a CSTO? Like if you were able to analyze it and, you know, how can you juxtapose the dynamics of this uh, relationship as it's ours? You know, essentially at what, is, what is at stake is Armenia's alliance with Russia, the military base here, and even possibly the peacekeeping mission in Artsakh. Okay, we can share the question into two parts. One of it is the relations of Armenia with Russia today and our alliance with Russia. And the second one is the EU's mission and how Armenia can benefit from it. Concerning the first one, the today's relations with Russia is, unfortunately, we should state that uh, today we have alliance on the documents, on the papers, but uh, we don't see the real alliance in the dialogue, in the real relations, in real politics, yes. And it is, in fact, the result of the politics that we see politics of Armenian government in the last years, because year after year, in fact, they used every chance to promote some anti-Russian sentiments and to blame Russia for everything that was going on on the borders, uh, blame Russia for the um, situation in the negotiations, etc., and making the picture that Russia is not a real partner for Armenia and Russia is not helping Armenia, is not uh, guaranteeing our security, etc., etc. It doesn't mean that Russia really does it fully and they say they are not, but in fact, we see that the government of Armenia is not trying to improve their relations with Russia and to get some guarantees, but they are trying more to destroy these relations and to show to Armenian population that these relations are being destroyed. 
And uh, today's situation and today's rhetorics, both of the government of Armenia and of the Russia, is the result of this. But we must understand that both in the Moscow also, they should understand that the dialogue or um, not being able to have this dialogue with the government is that cannot destroy the relations of uh, two countries, of two people. And uh, in fact, today... Um, in real Armenian people really sees that Russia is not helping us. The second issue is the benefits from EU's uh, monitoring mission. You see, in general, the idea of EU's mission is not something bad because any guarantee or any instrument that can help to uh, stop Azerbaijan from new hostilities or some new aggression against Armenia and Armenia's borders, of course, is uh, something that should be welcomed by Armenia. But at the same time, we had this uh, mission for two months uh, in the autumn of the last year. And in fact, we didn't really see what it gave. The situation on the borders didn't really change. And the rhetorics, uh, the statements of them, EU officials didn't really change. We didn't see any blames against um, Azerbaijan or we didn't see any reports from this mission. In fact, we didn't see what it gave, what it changed. So uh, it's difficult today to say what we can expect from this mission. Besides what we see today as the aggressive reaction of Russia, aggressive reaction of Iran and the risks that we can have by changing the geopolitics of the region. Do you believe that um, the Ukraine crisis in any way sort of contributes to this process, uh, you know, both from the Armenian side and from the Russian side in terms of this relationship going sour? You see, the Ukrainian crisis changed uh, the geopolitics of the region. And uh, in fact, now both Russia and West are in uh, open conflict and in open struggle against each other. And they are awaiting their partners to take a side of one or another. And not taking this side also has uh, its impacts on the politics or any country and um, of of course, Armenia too is in a difficult situation when uh, they are expected to take side of Russia or West and both are uh, making some pressure. And of course, Armenia also is one of these countries who is under this pressure. Is there a way to repair this relationship as it currently stands? You know, uh, Russia has its interests in the region and uh, Russia is not going to leave the region or to leave Armenia. And um, I think politics is not about emotions, is not about personal relations. And Russia is really interested uh, to have a normal dialogue with Armenia and to have its base in Armenia to have its presence on our borders, etc., etc. Not because Russia loves Armenia very much, but because um, it's in her interests, yes. And, uh, of course, if the government of Armenia doesn't continue this political vector, uh, this policy of changing external vector of policy, maybe the situation can be balanced or we can see something, some good um, 
vibes, yes, in relations. But in general, of course, this government uh, is not able to have good partner relations with Russia after what it has done during the last years. Uh, I know one aspect that uh, I think is not covered a lot in terms of the, you know, we always talk about the Russian base in Armenia, but Armenia's energy security is also important. And it's also part of this uh, very complex, I guess, equation. On February 18, Gazprom Armenia announced that gas supply to Armenia will be restricted due to disruptions in the North Caucasus Transcaucasia uh, transit gas pipeline, which is used to deliver natural gas to Georgia and Armenia. And Gazprom's announcement mentions that the gas supplies to gas stations that provide compressed natural gas will be limited. And we felt that for a few days, of course. But uh, again, today, uh, February 20, the gas supply was restored. So some circles, though, how, uh, were quick to make unverifiable accusations that, in fact, Russia was doing this deliberately. So while we can't verify those allegations, you know, we should mention that Russia has, in fact, used uh, the provision of cheap natural gas as a political leverage, including most recently with Moldova. And we, of course, know the battles over gas in the context of the war in Ukraine. I'm just wondering, like, given Armenia's recent assertive pro-Western positioning, how should we think about this issue of gas? Because uh, Armenia is using about 2 billion cubic meters per year at a price of $165 per thousand cubic meters. And this is about one-tenth of the market price. Uh, You know, I was concerned when I uh, watched an interview by economist and former prime minister Heran Bagretian, who said that if Armenia were forced to pay market price for the a Russian gas that it is receiving, basically Armenia would forfeit what amounts to a subsidy from Russia of about $2.6 billion per year. So we would be paying that much more per year if Russia decided to stop giving us this cheap gas. Uh, given all we're seeing, uh, how likely do you see the possibility of Russia using natural gas as leverage against Armenia? I don't think the announcement of Gazprom on 18th of February was really connected with political processes. Uh, but uh, for everyone, it was like a signal to remember the real situation yeah. or the situations in other countries. For example, the same situation in Ukraine was starting from the gas crisis, as we remember. But uh, the issue today is that Armenia in and the region in general in such is in such a situation that uh, maybe if uh, the government really decides to change the political vector and to take the pro-western um, vector may the security issues uh, will be much quicker than the gas situation and maybe we will not even have time to think about the alternative gas uh, ways etc and especially taking into consideration that the main alternative uh, gas for Armenia is Iran and it is difficult to think that in such situation when Armenia will be bringing West to the region, Iran will be ready to help us in this issue of gas, yes. And uh, that's why I think that this is not the thing we can, uh, we must really think today.
uh, about. But of course, at the same time, we should remember that not only the energy system, but also the economy is really connected with uh, Russia. Also, the main communications with Armenia are connected with Russia and uh, Russian companies are controlling the main communications of Armenia. And uh, that's why it is really very, very difficult to think that for Armenia it is real story to uh, say goodbye to Russia and just to go to West because, in fact, we can um, don't reach the West in this our way uh, from Russia to West, yes. We will freeze by the time we get there. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, in the wake of all of what we just discussed about these troubled geopolitical relationships, the talks about a so-called peace treaty continue after his visit to Turkey, Ararat Mirzoyan said that Armenia has reviewed and read successive iterations of Azerbaijani proposals, and now it has submitted its counterproposal. If there is no official meeting between Armenia and Azerbaijan, and apparently Russia is now being excluded from the negotiation process, which I'm not sure of, but if it is, who is acting as a conduit of transferring these proposals between the two countries? Are they talking to each other? Or maybe as Armenian opposition members like Armen Ashodian suspected that Ankara is now fulfilling this role? Uh, how credible is this theory? How do you think the two countries, Armenia and Azerbaijan, are communicating these peace proposals to each other? We don't really have uh, such information to speak about it, but Nikol Pashinyan, when was saying that they uh, sent their proposals to Azerbaijan, he said that these proposals were also sent to the four countries of the OSC Minsk Group. That means that these proposals were also sent to both Russia and US mm. and France. And, um, you know, we have an interesting situation here because the process between Armenia and Azerbaijan on this uh, peace treaty is going on. And despite the meetings, are we have meetings or not, but the process is really going on. And uh, both Russia and the West, the same West, we now understand US and uh, EU, yes, are trying to be the main mediator of this process. And uh, we have in parallel these two processes. Uh, one is by mediating by Russia and the second one mediated by US. Even uh, before this uh, Munich conference, we had a very active announcement statement from Russian side and we even had the uh, main mediator of Russia in the region who had meetings and uh, also the um, if I'm not mistaken Putin or Lavrov called uh, his uh, Azerbaijani counterpart and that showed that they are trying to take control of the situation and of the negotiations but only after one, two days we saw that uh, the meeting of Pashinyan and Aliyev took place in Munich and the main mediator was uh, Blinken and US as the main uh, mediator and they said that the process will go on by mediation of the EU and at the same time Russia was trying to organize the meeting of the foreign ministers of Armenia and Azerbaijan, and this uh, meeting didn't took place till today. Uh, so we see that uh, Russia and both Russia and West are trying to be the mediator, and 
the sides are not saying no to non none of them. And they are trying, even these proposals are given to both of them so that both of them can play their role of mediator. But of course, we understand that um, they are, uh, their vision of how this uh, treaty should be are different because uh, both uh, West and Russia are uh, trying to realize their interests in this treaty. So you mentioned the Munich Security Conference, which happened over the weekend, and Pashinyan and Aliyev both attended. Each of them met with EU co-president Charles Michel, and they also had a trilateral meeting with the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, as you mentioned. In the initial agenda, Aliyev was mentioned as a participant in the Moving Mountains, Building Security in the South Caucasus panel, along with Georgia's Prime Minister, Garibashvili. However, this agenda was modified last minute to include Pashinyan also in that panel session. The focus of this conference was heavily on the one-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine, and French President Macron said that the ongoing conflicts in the South Caucasus and other places cannot be ignored. He mentioned Nigol Pashinyan specifically, referring to him as his friend, and that he was always going to support him. Uh, so with comments from Macron and meetings with Michel and Blinken, this is a very clear emphasis on Western solutions or Western efforts to have a Western solution in the South Caucasus. What did you think about the points made by both sides during that panel session with Aliyev and uh, Pashinyan? Speaking about Aliyev's position, he was trying to show the world that the conflict of Artsakh is solved and there is no Artsakh conflict and the peace treaty it is not about the this conflict, but uh, the peace treaty should be about Armenian and Azerbaijani relations. And um, after this meeting, he announced that the word Artsakh uh, will not be and must not be included in this document. And um, during this conference, he even said that, yes, we made the war and we solved the conflict by the war and um, uh, trying to legitimize the war as an instrument of uh, solving conflict. And also the new thing that was that is really important and uh, must be spoken about is his announcement that uh, about the control of borders and the corridors and uh, saying that there should be the same control on Lachin corridor and on the Sunik corridor or Zangezur corridor as they call it. And this way it is against the um, announcement of November 9. And this shows that uh, Azerbaijan is now trying to leave the process where, from, where Russia has real impact and where Russians control to be on this road and uh, is trying to have new mechanisms and it, the logics uh, show that these new mechanisms are what uh, West wants to see in the region. So we see some change of uh, policy of Azerbaijan too. And uh, we see Azerbaijan trying to have this treaty by mediation of West and the way West wants it to be. And Azerbaijan now is feeling itself strong 
and mm-hmm. trying to promote his positions in this process. At the same time, we didn't really see any strong position of Pashinyan in this uh, dialogue. He was mainly speaking about the peace treaty, peace dialogue, and his arguments uh, were not about the issues that uh, um, Aliyev was speaking about. And his rhetorics, unfortunately, he was speaking from the weak uh, side and he was uh, like asking for peace, but not even speaking about Artsakh, what is very important. This government is not speaking about Artsakh and Artsakh's status and the self-determination of Artsakh, but they are speaking only about the security and the rights of people, Armenian people living in Artsakh. Um, so do you think that Aliyev is actually uh, favoring uh, a Western medium for continuing these peace talks rather than the Russian medium? Uh, I should say platform. Today's re- rhetorics of Azerbaijan are showing that uh, we have, uh, we deal with. Interesting. We have heard Macron make very pro-Pashinian and pro-Armenian statements since all the way back from Francophonie in Armenia continuing through the 44-day war and everything. Do you expect anything substantive coming from all these friendly statements? You know, uh, these announcements are nothing if we don't have its impact on real politics. Uh, so if France now is really, uh, really wants to help Armenian people, but not Pashinyan as his friend, yes, uh, maybe France should uh, think about the recognition of Artsakh in such mm-hmm. situation, which will uh, stop Azerbaijan's plan of making the world think that Artsakh is part of Azerbaijan and that it's a soft uh, issue. And maybe France should uh, make something, start some real process that will, uh, for example, stop the blockade of Artsakh. But now we don't really see any real steps from France. Uh, we just see some announcements and uh, I don't know what these statements can give Armenia in such situation if there are no steps behind them. Right. Even short of a recognition or something like that, which may or may not be expedient for uh, France, I haven't seen any processes started, for example, in the UN Security Council to talk about these issues and putting everybody uh, on the record with their vote as to how they are voting if there are disagreements. Or, you know, in case of an agreement, putting Azerbaijan on notice that, you know, they are becoming a rogue state. So for the Munich Security Conference, uh, of course, Russia was not invited by the Europeans who sometimes think they're at war with Russia and other times deny that fact. Uh, and Pashinyan's rejection of Russia and the CSTO, as we discussed, in favor of European geopolitical interests is obvious to all the analysts we talk to. Uh, meanwhile, Aliyev says he's okay with whomever can help him get Armenia to sign the so-called peace treaty. And as you say, Anna, this indicates an Aliyev is sort of acquiescing to a European-flavored solution. But besides those specific aspects, do we know what is currently in this so-called peace document? Is there, for instance, a talk about conceding a corridor through Armenia, which Aliyev again mentioned? And in general, how close do you think we are to signing something? Is this going to be so, uh, something that where both sides say, yeah, we're trying to work on it, on it and we're committed to peace, but you know, we're in actuality, we're far from it? 
we can't uh, exactly say how it's written in this document, but the main idea of this document is based on the five principles that uh, Azerbaijan was speaking about at the beginning of the process, because uh, as you remember, the first was these five principles that were announced by Azerbaijan and the Armenian side said this, yes, we are taking them as a basis and we are ready to start negotiations on these uh, principles. And even then we spoke about it saying that these principles uh, are an instrument for Azerbaijan to close the conflict and to make the world recognize that uh, Artsakh conflict is solved and Artsakh is part of Azerbaijan and uh, after signing the document on the basis of these uh, principles it will be very difficult for Armenia and Armenian people to speak about self-determination of Artsakh people. Uh, now during the last period the Armenian government was speaking about that they are uh, trying to have in these documents some sentence that is uh, announcing that uh, Artsakh conflict is not resolved or that there must be uh, some dialogue between Azerbaijan and Artsakh and Artsakh uh, should uh, solve its uh, issues by itself in this dialogue with Azerbaijan. And today's rhetorics of Azerbaijan show us that Azerbaijan is not going to sign a document where it is said that conflict of Artsakh is not solved, but they are ready to have this dialogue with Artsakh. Uh, but this dialogue will not be international negotiations about the status of Artsakh or the future of Artsakh in the context of self-determination, but they want to speak with Artsakh as a part of Azerbaijan and they want to speak with Armenian people of Artsakh as a minority living in Azerbaijan. This is their vision of the situation. And if the Armenian side agrees to this, uh, it means that, uh, in fact, uh, these 30 years of struggle for self-determination of Artsakh people will uh, result in nothing. And all um, in, in future, it will be very difficult to, to speak about this again. One thing that I find very fascinating is Aliyev's fixation about the state minister, Ruben Vartanian. Uh, he continued to uh, rant about Ruben Vartanian, even in Munich, in that sort of, you know, all the world's leaders are sitting in a conference hall and he's talking about Vartanian. He called him a, quote, Russian citizen, criminal and oligarch. Quite interesting words coming from someone who is at the center of a new corruption scandal every year that gets published by anti-corruption watchdogs. But that's beside the point. Uh, anyway, Aliyev said that Azerbaijan will negotiate with Karabakh Armenians if and only if Ruben Vartanian leaves. And there has been rumors uh, in Armenian media over the recent uh, weeks that, in fact, there may be some shift in the makeup of the executive branch in Artsakh. You know, I don't think it has been official, but there, you know, there are some sort of reliable rumors. But I wanted to ask, what do you think is the reason for Aliyev's fixation with Ruben Vartanian? Does he believe that uh, anyone else is not as committed to the cause, uh, you know, to this 35-year struggle? I mean, we know that and, uh, we obviously can make political statements and we know that, you know, Arek Haritina, for instance, has been very close to Pashinyan in the past, but, you know, his brother also died in Artsakh. What is Azerbaijan's calculus in excluding uh, Ruben Vartanian? Uh, not going through the domestic politics of Artsakh, but uh, I think that the main purpose is that 
same RI Karatsunyan and other officials like uh, Vitadi Balasanyan already had started some dialogue with uh, Azerbaijani government considering some issues of, for example, Sarsang or um, trying to have some dialogue on the uh, Lachin corridor. And at the same time, uh, we see that Ruben Vartanyan is at least uh, announcing he's against this dialogue in this context and uh, he wants to struggle for the status of Artsakh and for Artsakh to be a subject of international relations, etc. And maybe also the uh, Azerbaijan has some fears connected with Ruben Vartanyan concerning his relations in the world and that world really wants to listen to him and now he's uh, introducing the voice of Artsakh in the world and he's listened and I think that uh, Azerbaijan doesn't want really as uh, Artsakh to have some leader who has a voice in international for international community and they want uh, Artsakh who uh, will have a dialogue with them and who will um, help them to integrate Artsakh into Azerbaijan, but not to uh, struggle uh, against it. And maybe they see Ruben Vartanyan also connected to Russia and um, they are speaking about it. Even Aliyev today, yesterday spoke about it, that he's connected with Russia. And I think that uh, the person of Ruben Vartanyan is now is a problem for Azerbaijan to make his plans come true. And that's why they are struggling against a person in this situation. So for our last uh, topic on Artsakh, we are now at day 71 of the blockade, as we are reminded, and we try to cover it regularly. Um, recently, the National Security Council chairman, uh, Armin Grigoryan, in talking about the latest so-called peace agreement version uh, being negotiated between Armenia and Azerbaijan, leaked that the Armenian draft could mention Nagorno-Karabakh. And you said that you don't believe that this will be about the status of Artsakh, the independence of Artsakh, but more about the security and rights of so-called sort of Armenians who are being treated as citizens of Azerbaijan now. Can you expand on that statement a little bit? If we pay attention to the rhetorics of the Armenian government, uh, speaking about the blockade of uh, Lajin Corridor, we say we see that even in international organizations on international platforms, they don't speak about the Artsakh as a territory or Artsakh about uh, some state. Um, they speak only about the rights of people and the security of Armenian people of Artsakh. And uh, that shows us that uh, they are trying not to speak about the status of Artsakh, but they are uh, trying to speak only about the humanitarian side of the issue. And they are trying in this situation, even Pashinyan talked that he is trying to keep the territory of Armenia. And he is not going through issues connected with Artsakh and the future of Artsakh or status of Artsakh. And uh, he said that uh, the Artsakh should uh, by itself solve this issue with Azerbaijan. And uh, seeing the today's rhetorics of Azerbaijan, we see that um, if it will really be the issue that should be solved in the dialogue of Artsakh and Azerbaijan. Artsakh has really little chances to have uh, any status 
out of Azerbaijan. And Azerbaijan is not really going uh, to this dialogue as an international dialogue or dialogue which will have some international guarantees. And even now, when the, the same Armen Grikodan was speaking about some international guarantees for the rights of people of Artsakh, Aliyev said that Azerbaijan is not going to discuss any international mechanism and any uh, external influence on these issues because it's only their internal problem. And that shows us that uh, in this situation, Azerbaijan is not ready to speak about it and doesn't want, and they want the to show that the war solved this issue and uh, it is not uh, anymore actual to speak about status and the government of uh, Armenia is not opposing this. Uh, they are just trying to speak about the rights of people. And lastly, uh, on a couple of days from now, on February 22nd, the International Court of Justice uh, is expected to yield a decision about Armenia's request for temporary measures against Azerbaijan to open the Lachin or Berzor corridor. On the same day, it is also expected to release their decision about Azerbaijan's complaint about, I guess, the use of mines as a instrument of racism. Very weird request. But, you know, I wanted to see if you have any expectations about what will be announced. For instance, I'm worried about the scheduling where both decisions are to be done on the same day. Uh, do you think that's a bad omen about sort of the European both sidedism we have been getting since October, uh, since the 44-day war? How do you think this uh, uh, our litigation of the blockade in international courts will help us? I think it's uh, very important to use all international platforms to speak about this question and to make international community go through some steps again, Azerbaijan not only make announcements and call for Azerbaijan to open the corridor, uh, but at the same time, I'm not expecting that even the decision of the court that will urge Azerbaijan to open the corridor will really play a real role in this process because it's all about politics and it's all about uh, the issues that Azerbaijan is now trying to solve by this uh, blockade. And that's why, um, yes, of course, the decision of the court will be inform uh, important and will be one more instrument that can be used by Armenia if Armenian government wants to use it, really. But uh, at the same time, um, I'm not very optimistic concerning the results of it. All right, let's uh, wrap up our topics here. I'd like to ask each of you if there's been something on your mind this past week that you would like to talk about. Hovig, uh, something on your mind? You go first. Many things on my mind, but uh, I would just like, like to sort of provide a friendly reminder to our listeners uh, about, uh, you know, this is the 71st day of the blockade in Artsakh. But besides that, you know, we're counting so many days now. Uh, this is the 32nd day since January 19, 2023, when 15 Armenian servicemen burned to their deaths and without any political you know, responsibility. And there was not even a day of public mourning for that incident. Uh, this is the 157th day since the, you know, since the September 14 war between Armenia and Azerbaijan on Armenia proper, where more than 200 people died 
whose names have not been released, and there has not been a day of public mourning for that incident. And uh, it is now 821 days since November 10, 2020, when many of our uh, compatriots were supposed to be returned to from Baku prisons to Armenia as POWs, uh, when we had thousands of Armenians from Artsakh and Armenia uh, die for their homeland, and whose names fully we don't know yet because Armenian authorities have not announced them. So um, many days to count, unfortunately. Okay. Anna, what's on your mind? Okay, I'll uh, speak about two topics, maybe. Uh, the first one uh, was, of course, during the uh, the World Week, was the issue of civil security issues connected to earthquakes in the region and how our country and how... Uh, our cities are ready for such uh, situations and any new earthquake really uh, makes you to think about how uh, secure is uh, your place, the place your children are and how secure is the city really and ready for such uh, situations in general. And the second one is the topic today I was thinking really about was today was the website Yerabelureyem was announced and uh, it's a very important project where uh, Hovik also spoke about it that uh, we don't even know the names of the people that died during the war and this site is really an important one where um, every story of and every soldier that died during this war is uh, told and all the information about the um, uh, thousands of people that died during this war is placed on this website. And it's really very important to visit it and to understand that these people sacrificed their lives for our future and we don't uh, have a right to let Azerbaijan really get to its main purposes and we don't have a right to capitulate uh, for Azerbaijan. Those are very important topics. Uh, Yeraplur.am, you mentioned. Yes. And I might also want to say that exactly two years ago in February, we talked with Professor Armender Gurelyan. He's a seismologist, earthquake specialist, and he was clearly saying that Armenia is not ready for a big earthquake. D despite more than 30 years since 1988, we are still not ready to confront a big earthquake. All right, we're going to leave it there for today. Thank you, Anna, for talking to us. Appreciate you. your time very much. Thank you. Very Thank much. you. That's our show this week. We hope you found it informative. Now go find us on social media and follow us. We'll talk to you next week.